two. Hey, 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 what's going on, Duval? You are now rocking with the Ville Radio Show. This is Julie Uli's, Jay Harris in the building. I got my co-host with me. Say something, y'all. Yo, my name's Big Phil, and I'm a real cool guy. Don't, don't try to do it, because you don't do it right. Oh, uh, I'm not say, say your own your oh. own thing. Okay. And we already have racial beef going hey, on. Hey, everybody. My name is Jeremy. I'm the white guy on the show, so welcome back to me, <laughs> Sir Phil. Dog. Phil Ely's. And you already know what it is. It's your boy. It's the immaculate, the alphoracious, uh, well, uh, alphoracious, the exuberating big field, the ones that make it say, shout like thou, and make it say, oh, oh, two times, baby, okay. let's Yeah, go. we're going to be kicking him off the show very <laughs> soon. <laughs> this is no. Big Phil's farewell show. <laughs> <laughs> no, straight up, for real. This is the Bill Radio Show where we're chilling like villains. Listen, we got, um, we got some special guests in the building. Real fast, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, The Ville Church. Um, listen, go to theville.church and check us out. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to Pure Radio 103.7 FM, 1320 AM. You know what I'm saying? Y'all are rocking with the blessed. So listen, let's let's talk about the gospel today. But let me introduce our guest first. We got Jonathan Blackburn from Second Mile. Jonathan, say what's up to the people, brother. Hey, what's up, everybody? No diggies, no diggies. Yo, Jonathan, tell us this real quick. What does Second Mile do? Um, so Second Mile is a community-based ministry. We um, serve in Brentwood. We consider our borders 12th to Tallulah and uh, 95 to Main Street. So in that population, is probably about eight to 10,000 people. And uh, in every way we can connect and serve in some redeemable way, we try to do that. And our mission is to um, seek, the, seek to see the gospel renew lives and communities so that they're transformed in every way. Most definitely. Listen, and the Ville Church has gotten to partner with y'all on a lot of stuff and come serve in y'all's context. And uh, y'all definitely up. do your thing, man. I just It's amazing to see y'all pour out and sacrifice and, and do what y'all do, man. So we appreciate you being here today. And we also have... One of my favorite people, Jen Verichoff in the building, you know what I'm saying? Representing for the Baselli Foundation. Jen, how you doing? Good morning. I'm well. Thanks for having me. True indeed. Jen, so tell us about, tell the people about Baselli Foundation and what y'all do. Uh, the Baselli Foundation has been serving at-risk urban youth on the north side for the past 10 years through after-school and summer camp programming. Uh, we focus on intensive academics and uh, gospel center character building. True indeed. And we get to work with y'all a lot too. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Jen actually goes here to the Ville Church and so I get to be her pastor and all that good stuff and they serve her and her husband Nick serve in the church and do a lot of awesome stuff. Um, matter of fact, why don't we do a plug real quick? We got the rummage sale coming up soon. Nice. We do? Yes. Who wants to hit it? I then you hit gladly it. gladly talk about that. So um, Saturday, April 8th, here at the Ville Church, 956 North Liberty Street, we are having a rummage sale. It's a multifamily uh, yard sale to raise money for some local outreach projects that we want to do. So if you have stuff that you want to donate, um, we'll be happy to sell that for you. Um, if you want to come through, we're going to have baby stuff, clothes, toys, furniture, um, so come on by 8 to noon, April 8th, um, and you can find more information on the Ville website. Most definitely. That's the Ville.Church. So listen, we are going to get into this uh, this morning. Um, so, you know, we've been doing this conversation about race inside of the church. This is part two for us. Um, last week we played a panel um, that we attended in Atlanta called the uh, the Front Porch, um, Just Gospel. Y'all need to look that up if you can. It was absolutely amazing. But um, just to give you, a, we, we, we want to talk about race in the church today. And I want to tell you specifically why um, we invited uh, Jonathan to come talk with us and also Jen to come talk to, to us. For y'all for that are listening, you know what I'm saying, through the radio, you can't see the context of the table having this discussion. So you got Big Phil, mm. who's black. You know what I'm saying? Big and black. Big and black. And you know beautiful. what I'm saying? And beautiful, and too, beautiful. though. He's yeah. definitely beautiful. Then you got Jen, who is a white female. You got Jonathan, who's black. You got Shirk Dog, who's white. And you got me, who's black. You know what I'm saying? And so 
we are having this conversation and we're hitting it from different angles, talking about race in the church. So I just want people to know who's actually at the table. Um, it's a really important conversation. And the reason it's really important is because um, we've stated this statistic before, but right now inside of the church, I think you have about diversity at um, 12% just in the Protestant church. And then I think overall, you're looking at 2.5% diversity in the church. That means out of all the churches in all of the United States, you only have 2.5% of the churches that are actually diverse. Um, and that is on a scale of 80 to 20, meaning that that's not even like 50-50. It's like, can you at least get 20% of other in your church congregation? You know, And so um, that is extremely pitiful for 2017 that we are so separated um, as a church. And so it, I think the reason we, we at The Ville think this is an important conversation, um, number one, because of the context that we actually work in as a pastor of The Ville Church and, 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 and Shirk Dog being a pastor and Phil being our worship leader, we have a very diverse church. We're literally probably split down the middle 50-50. And I don't say that to boast at all. That is, it, it takes war for us to function in unity. We could sit in church and play games and not have the conversation, but people, what we find is people get really, really hurt in, in, in that type of situation. And so we have to have some very real conversations and we have to actually utilize the tools that God gives us, which are um, forgiveness, repentance, long suffering, patience. All of those beautiful things have to come to play for us to really come together and find unity in a way that actually glorifies God. So it's a conversation that's dear to my heart because I know that people who are not believers are standing on the outside of the church. And when we talk about the peace and love of God, we look real crazy when we can't even come together in unity as brothers and sisters. Um, so I wanted to bring Jonathan into this conversation because I know that um, he works in a very diverse church with Second Mile that he leads. And then I know that it's the same for um, Jen as one of the heads of Baselli, that she, she's, she pretty much leads a diverse group of people, and she's in um, a predominantly black context in the neighborhood she's in. So I know that they're um, frequently having to visit this conversation. So with all that talking... Let me, let me just jump to it. My first question for y'all, and I'm going to let y'all just navigate through this, and we haven't, pre, pre, we haven't prepped for these questions at all, so they're going straight off the hip with it. It's um, the Ville Radio Show. That's how we do it. It's man. the Ville Radio Show. You know what I'm saying? Somebody said last week, uh, was it timeliness or something? It's not our gifting. It's uh, not our gifting. It's not our straight off the bat. It's actually our curse. Yeah, but <laughs> so. well, we don't plan nothing. We go hard. We ask questions right out the rip because we want people to be real. You know what I mean? So if, you yeah. know. We're actually sad about this, but, like, after a while when you keep failing, you just have to own it and then make it a, you got to put it on as a badge. Like, it's what we do. So we just it rocking is. with it. So, listen, first question right off the bat. Like, why do you think, and, and either one of y'all can jump on this first, why do you think race is being so poorly um, dealt with in the church? Why is it such a hard conversation? And why do the statistics look so pitiful? Um, what's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I often think about from a historical lens, um, from an African-American Christian tradition, one of the, the beautiful things is, um, and we, I think we've had this discussion as well, some contemporary movements have talked about, um, Christianity being a white man's religion. Um, but if you actually study slave narratives, and I have a friend who's, he's doing a PhD in Aberdeen, um, about slave theology, um, they very much believed in the God of the Bible. Um, you know, there's a lot about the secret meetings and um, how they use double language to express theology. Um, but f from, from that dynamic, from the African-American white experience, the, um, the traumas of the past um, have been so deep. Um, it's hard to... Um, it's hard to reconcile from when you're always in a collective place. Individuals often can reconcile, um, but it's often difficult to reconcile from a collective place, especially when new traumas are added yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Um, because if you if you if you destroy the power of the collective, collective people collect all the time, all throughout human history. 
um, in different ways, um, families, um, ethnicities. Um, but collectives remain stronger when there are agents and factors and incidents that reinforce the, that strength for good or for bad. And a powerful strength in America has been the African-American Christian experience. Some have sought its demise um, over the decades or thought its demise, but it is still just as strong. Maybe everybody may not necessarily like everything about it. But the reality is that it's history. It is, it is something that was purely born out of racism. Um, you know, and that those traumas are really hard to overcome. So there is a, there's a pain element, um, you know, that is there. Um, and so I, that, that's just, uh, just one way of looking at it. Yeah. Jane, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, like Jonathan, I would also, um, start with a historical lens and perspective, um, that very much impacts and affects where we are today. And if we're not aware of that, which many, um, uh, whites in general aren't aware of that. It's not taught in school. It's not talked about. It's hard to, um, reconcile or just even be aware of what needs to be done in order to build diverse groups, including churches. I was talking before the show that I attended a, um, a larger church in Jacksonville that was predominantly white and um, it split, uh, it used to be a church for slave owners and their, or slave masters and their slaves attended with them and they split and now a black church exists because um, I, I would think that uh, they disagreed over what the gospel is and how that should be lived out and um, I was never taught that as a member of the church. That doesn't even uh, get mentioned in the historical narrative of the church. And so I was there for 25 years and didn't even know that until recently. And so certainly um, I'm intentional to learn those things. And a lot of my white brothers and sisters continue to just live out, um, you know, their way of life without seeking to know another way. So us as uh, the white community have a lot of work to do in understanding the true history, not just what we were taught in a little paragraph in our history books, um, to go back and understand so that we can come to the table uh, ready to listen and repent and um, be willing to step out of our comfort zones to uh, specifically worship with minorities. And, and even that is um, a type of trauma. It's, it's like not intentional. But the fact of like not even knowing um, the pain of others and the pain of people is a, is a type of trauma um, because it's never humanized. Yeah. Um, and so you, you carry pain. Um, and um, cult, um, there's, a, there's a guy, there's a, there's a really great book. <laughs> a guy named Peter Bell writes a book called Cultural Pain in African Americans. And I, I really think it's a good book because I, I want to say that he gives language to feelings that are hard, that are difficult to explain. That in American culture, we typically label as racism. Mm. And because words are simply containers and we pour meaning into them, a white person could say, I'm not racist. And a black person could, be saying, could say, that is racist. Um, so he creates this word called, or this phrase called, cultural pain. Um, some people might today might say microaggressions or different things like that. But he, he's, he's, he's going through this experience. And so, and I want to suggest that cultural pain is much like how a Southerner talks Southern. Um, all these things that are not necessarily taught in a rote manner, but are very much in our experience. D.A. Carson talks about sin is social. Mm. Nobody has to like necessarily teach us <laughs> the history verbatim for us to know like something is wrong. But, you know, it, and I, I'm one of those persons, like, since I have, like, started to interact with history, sometimes just it's too hard. Yeah. When you read Francis's book, um, and Francis has a, has a book called uh, Readings in Christian Thought, and he captures the word of Fanny Barrier Williams, who said that 
slave babies were sold for missions. <laughs> that's, that's too much. That's, that's a little. That's a little. Jesus. That's a little. That's a little. That's that's heavy. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's. <laughs> Jeez. That's kind. Of, that's kind of. That's kind of. That's kind of heavy. Um, so that yeah. So for me, you know, a part of that issue. I mean, there are other narratives, but it, it is. There's this. There's this pain, and uh, I, I. You know, I don't want to. You know, belabor the conversation with, with my thoughts, but I do think that some of that is God's will to re, re- heal, re- heal to the final redemption. I don't think there's necessarily anything that can be done to heal that pain. Um, we, we still can forgive, we still can fellowship, but those things are real and they, they, they hurt. Yeah. They hurt to this very day. So, yeah, yeah. I, I ain't never heard of nothing like that. That's yeah. I, I almost want to erase it out of my brain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just crazy. Um, you know what? One of the things I want to ask too is, is this right here. How in, how does ignoring how do you feel that ignoring the historical narrative betrays us in a huge way right now? And, and the reason I asked the question like that is that um, yesterday I was sitting in a meeting um, with uh, just with some attorneys and, and different people or whatever, and we were just talking about justice. And, and you know, and I was there with some of the EVAC boys, uh, which are, you know, some at-risk youth, but we say at hope, you know what I'm saying? And, and God is doing some amazing things with them. And one of the people that were sitting in the meeting went to correct them, and he was like, hey, look, you know, let's not get lost in this. You know, I feel like we're almost trying to give uh, credibility to criminalization. Like, we have to be stern on, you know, criminality, and there's never... It's never okay, and that's our job, you know, as uh, you know, as prosecutors. That's what we, um, that's what we do. And so, you know, when that was said, you know, my rebuttal was, I said, yeah, man, I think it's great that you're really adamant about justice. I said, but it's going to betray you to not respect the historical narrative of what has happened in this country, especially in this city. I go, do you think we sit inside of this city? and look at one part of town with palm trees all the way down the street and another one that is completely neglected and everything's falling apart, do you think we're not sitting here wondering, like, it's obvious that somebody has more value than somebody else in the city. I said, so when you talk about justice and you're just talking about the now and coming to lock up people based off the now and not looking at the story that goes into where we're at, I'm like, you betray justice in itself. And, and so I just use that as a comparison with, you know, to kind of lean into the question where I'm coming from. I feel like doing righteousness as God calls us to in loving our neighbor, we betray the very notion that we claim to stand with by avoiding the historical narrative in the conversation. And I think that has to do with that cultural hurt. We're not being we're not being loved. And let me add this into it, like before y'all kind of jump on it. It's um, me and Shirk Dog were kind of coming talking about this. Uh, yesterday, the, the dehumanizing of um, African-Americans, um, primarily just because of conversation, but minorities overall, you, you, we still have this effect, like the water fountain effect, where, like, if we just see two kids, like, if, if you're watching me give two kids some ice cream, and I give one kid two scoops and one kid one scoop, you're just going to be kind of outraged, even over ice cream, you're going to be like, hey, that's really not fair to do that. You shouldn't do that. It's not right. It just kind of pricks something in us. But we as a country for a very long time have been very fine with a beautiful water fountain and then one rusty old unmaintained one with polluted water and other people drinking from that, um, people of color. So we've dehumanized, like the only way you're okay with that is if somebody is not quite fully human to you. And... I don't think there's ever been repentance of that notion. And I don't think we've dealt with the psychological impact, um, not only that it's had on people of color, but we never talk about the psychological impact that it has on our white brothers and sisters and what Satan was doing to damage them. We kind of just do like a white versus black deal, but from a Christian responsibility, because white brothers and sisters are 
our brothers and sisters through Jesus Christ. God made us with color, so I still see color because we're, we're still, that's something God did. It's still a beautiful thing. The fact that we make it an ugly thing is the pollution in our heart. But, man, we've never dealt with the psychological effects that happened to white people during these times, um, which, it, which continues to work into the dehumanizing um, effect that happens. And I just think that historical narrative is so important in the conversation. And so I just want to hear your thoughts on kind of, I know it's a lot, but just kind of on all of that. <laughs> um, yes. It, so e even very, like, um, um, I want to call the author's name. And so I have a, we have a PhD in intercultural studies. Um, so part of me is I'm a missiologist. And so like the history of missions. And I want to say, um, the book, I want to say, it's, it was written in 85. But one of the things the guy does, he, he seriously attacks the, the African-American Christian experience as weak in ministering to, uh, be, being missional towards its own population and being missional globally. Um, and so even like when you think about something like global missions, um, so why aren't there a lot of African-Americans in global missions or doing short-term missions. Um, I, I want to say that if you took all the, what are considered historically um, major African-American denominations, uh, National Baptist, Kojic, um, AME, um, AME Zion, mm -hmm. if you took that, I think less than 1% of that entire population, according to some statistics, less than 1% are actually full-time missionaries. Um, but even that is like historically related, like being marginalized, we're not invited into missional endeavors and yet still having a missional legacy. Um, and so from a Christian experience, I remember being at a, a small gathering and um, so the seminary I went to, we were a pretty diverse um, population, but I remember when a Korean guy stood up and he said, and they were talking, because Koreans have, have exploded in, in Christian missions. And percentage-wise, outpaces America, um, percentage-wise. The guy stood up and he said, he said, we don't just want to celebrate us, we want to celebrate you. And, but he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to another white Christian because of, in his mind, he didn't have to say it, he wasn't being malicious. Even white Christian, even Christianity America is visibly understood as the white Christian in America. And even that has been like having to forge your own history that is not even like, you know, recognized. And even when, you, you know, most, you know, you know, there's a serious reform um, push that's going on and sometimes it's been attacking, right. you know, but it's like, well, <laughs> if you've been marginalized from the start, you didn't have the same heads. You know what I mean? It's like it's unfair to necessarily compare. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you all talked about a conference you went to or you yeah. played the panel. Right. But a few years ago, they had they called the Elephant Room. Yes. You know, and that right. was supposed to be a, an entire thing about, you know, race. And a lot of things came out. Well, you know, the, the um, African-American Christian tradition is not uh, Christ-centered. Yep. You know, but then they had to like, well, the crisis, the cross is always present in the message. And so even a lot of narratives yeah. um, are untold. Um, and so it, it's, um, yeah, so it's a lot of, it's so, it's so much that's uh, tied up into that. Me, yeah. and, um, me and D.A. Horton was talking about that, how you had a lot of the reform guys or just um, uh, a group of, individuals that were going strong on African-American yeah. culture as far as church and um, not being rooted in real theology. And me and D.A. Hort was having this conversation and he's doing, he was uh, studying and talking with and, um, one individual from uh, Liberty University about it because they were so, ba they were just so built on that we do church incorrectly mm -hmm. and that the cross is not the center and then theology is not the basis of our foundation and things like that. Yeah. And D.H. simply said to him, he was just like, listen, 
It was like, um, you want us to uh, indulge in this theology now and take it and, and put our entire life and being into it, but you haven't even repented, repented about the simple fact that you kept it away from us yeah. as long as you did. Yeah, yeah even the debates of... Yeah. What should we Christianize? What should I mean, we Christianize? Yeah. Like that is. So it's like even if you want to say that we didn't have real theology, yeah. the simple fact, yeah. on, on the simple basis that you kept this, yeah. whatever this yeah. theology is that you're talking about away from us, you haven't even repented about it, and now yeah. you want us to take it in and soak yeah. it in to make yeah. sure that we know what we we're know. talking yeah. about, and like the cross hasn't been the culture yeah. of the black church. Yeah. I don't think the black church would have made it if it had not been. The cross had not been the center, center yeah. of what it, it, of, its, of its establishment. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's a it's an unfair conversation because um, it's like when we were at the front porch conference. One of the things they brought up was the black church was a theological response to the heresy that yeah. was going on in the white church. Because yeah. and this seems to become a a, a really relaxed position to me yeah. for the white church yeah. that is really problematic, where it's like. We do church, we hide behind theology, but we are actually one of the most racist institutions. Like, we're completely divided. You know, statistically, it's absolutely deplorable, but we keep talking about good theology. Good theology actually should be bearing the fruit of love that is actually long-suffering and pushing through really hard conversations. It doesn't just skip over the historical narrative and then start pointing fingers. One of the disgusting things that I saw just not too long ago, and I think I may have mentioned it on the show before, but I saw some guys debating, like they were going through, they were going at Martin Luther King and his theology and everything else, which was absolute silly because they were going at theological works, which I believe he went into the, the uh, went into school at like 16 or something crazy. And it wasn't even, they didn't even have, a, it, it was just ridiculous. But I'm like, so you're going to throw rocks at him when during that time he wasn't even allowed in a lot of your schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it, hiding behind theology mm-hmm. is becoming a thing. A thing yeah. And it's a really, it, it's, it, well, it's actually always been a thing. It's how we got the slave movement and, and, and everything else. And we're able to commit such atrocities as selling black babies for missions. Yeah. So, man, let me, let it, me. It is the thing. It is the thing. Like it for is for white Christians. There's, there's not a, there's no other thing. Yeah. Like, I feel like with power and knowledge mixed together, mm-hmm. you hide behind that all day. Yeah. And you can justify anything you do. Yeah. And never being wrong. True indeed. Let me ask y'all this right here. That sends me to another question. Jay, can I say one thing about oh, that real quick? Yes, Sorry. yes, ma'am. Hit it, Jen. So, um, as Christians, we don't get to pick and choose or at least we shouldn't, what parts of the Bible we um, adhere to or frame our lives around. And I think as uh, white Christians, we've been um, really great at just skipping over what God says about justice. And if we took a good look at it, um, there are, I believe, over 2,000 verses on God's heart just for the poor. He talks um, in very vivid powerful language um, with warning to those who do not live out God's heart for justice. And just as Americans in general, we don't want to be uncomfortable about anything. So then when we come to the church and we start looking at the word, it's uncomfortable when we get to uh, what God says about uh, justice and caring for the poor and how we should live our lives in that regards, because it's really uncomfortable. It's really hard. And especially when we don't know how to do that. And so, um, Excuse me. I know when I first started working at the Baselli Foundation, I had this thought of, you know, here I am. I have the gospel. I'm going to take it into the hood. Um, you know, these poor black children need the gospel. And um, I had to repent because God is alive and well there. The black church is thriving. I just had no perspective of that. I had no knowledge. I had not um, interacted with that um, because I didn't grow up in in a way that would 
pushed me to do that or even caused me to stop and think about it. And so now when, um, Jonathan, I'm sure you experience the same thing, when mission groups come in or when people want to partner with you, you know, they have this like, let's bring the gospel in. It's like, no, 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 you are not the savior. Um, You're not the answer. God is already working in in those people. And we... um, say that I think because we don't understand the historical narrative and we're picking and choosing what uh, we want to frame our theology around, which is certainly um, something that we need to repent of. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I think that, I think that um, in line with what you're saying too, Jen, is that there becomes this part of the dehumanizing, I think, that happens with African Americans is that there's always this idea that we're going to save the black people. It's not this. I'm I'm going to live life with these other humans. These other humans. We're They're, not on the same. Yeah, field. we're not on the same playing field. It's crazy because last week I got an email from um, somebody I know, and we and and it was a white brother. Um, sometimes I don't want to call him brother because he's. But anyway, I'm gonna just tell you. He hits me up and he's like, "Hey, I just sent an email to some uh, to some some some." principals of some black schools and I got this guy coming up this missionary or whatever and we are going to come revolutionize the gangs and I need you to hook me up with some gang members um point me to them um and 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 you know this guy was down a South American level led a gospel revolution where are the gang members let's get to it and I'm sitting and so I hit him back I said brother I think some of the the way you're thinking about this is problematic I would like to sit and, you know, so I didn't just get upset with him and, and, right. and, and throw him to the curb. I was like, I think we need to talk through this. Like, because it's not dignifying. Number one, you're assuming that these men you sent this email to, that they're not actually working hard or, or that you're 100 paces ahead of them already and they actually need you. I'm like, how about you call them and say, how can I come serve you? And so, so there's these things that happen, even in our context as a church, doing life as white brothers and sisters where people just say say things out of their mouth and they don't realize and they don't realize some of the trauma that they unlock in the black experience. And so like we were all having this conversation this week and I was like, yo, sometimes my work day turns into a very long work day because of a simple conversation somebody said during the day that grieves my spirit so hard I can't even rest from it because to go forward in this gospel and pushing for um, unity with my white brothers and sisters because that's what I believe God has called us to do in the word. That's what, that's what he's going to, that's what the picture is going to look like when he redeems this broken earth. Um, so it's something we're supposed to work towards now. And, uh, but it's, it's grievous and you have to come before the cross often to do it. It takes the power of God to do it, you know? And so just to kind of keep this conversation from getting one-sided also, I want to kind of spin it a little bit. Um, hey, before you spin it, you, you want to throw a jam? I think you want to throw a jam. You know what? Yeah. You know what? Let's take a breather and listen to a song or whatever. We're going hard and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Our host, you know what I'm saying? I mean, my, our, our guest, Jonathan and, and, uh, and Jen are killing it. We're having a good time with a hard conversation, but let's get a little music. We we always need some music. What what are you thinking, Jay? You know what? Why don't we just throw on that Stevie Wonder, you know what I'm saying? Was it Paul McCartney, that Ebony and Ivory? I think it's fitting for, you know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? The theology ain't all the way to hearing it, but we get what my man was saying. You know what I'm saying? Ebony and Ivory come together in perfect harmony, side by side. Like, you know what I'm saying? The keys on the piano board, oh, Lord. You know the deal. So let's go ahead and spin that. Listen, this is 103.7 FM, 1320 AM, Pure Radio. We're going to be back in a flash. Let the jam roll, DJ. All right, for those who live, we just going to keep going. I'll cut that later. Thank y'all for jo- uh, joining in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, no, no, just... You, you, you want to start us off when we come back in? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yep. So <laughs> we, 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 we actually, be careful favor in your life. Oh, good luck, Toya. Thank you. We're not going to play the song, though. but. <laughs> You probably shouldn't say the word is something. Appreciate it. Thanks. Um, so, but so you know, so you, so you know what you got to say, right? You got to be like, no, no, no. I'm gonna bring it back in. That's oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was gonna say you want to do it now. You, uh, so you want to bring it back in? Yeah, you were. You, 
Sure, bring it back in. No, man. You want to? I'll, all right. I'll, all right, we'll bring it back, back in. I, I can bring it back, whoever. whoever. Uh, Phil, you bring it back in. All right, here we go. And five, four, three, two. Welcome back. It's the Ville Radio Show. You just heard Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney. One of Stevie Wonder, the greatest of all time. He Nobody is one of the greatest that. of all times, but man, so he has many, many, Paul's many dope. other great songs that we could have chosen, but we chose... Ebony and I. Really we talking know. about race relations, yo. It's fitting, you know what I mean? I guess so. You Straight know, I always up. thought that song was about uh, what? Uh, like man and a woman getting together and I don't be, being together. <laughs> How did you come together with that? Because I didn't know it was Paul McCartney in the song, and then when I found out, you thought it was a girl? I don't know. And then when I thought it was one one person. And I knew, but then when I saw it's getting more and more twisted. Yeah, and then when I saw <laughs> that it was a two men, I thought it was like gay. Uh, it was about like a homosexual relationship, but that's not, it's what, not the song. what it's, it's not about it at all. It's about just you know. Yeah, I'm really concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really concerned. Wow. I really am. Hey, all right, let's get uh, back to it. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to it. Listen, this is Pure Radio, uh, one hundred three point seven FM, thirteen twenty AM. We are sponsored by the Ville. Church, go to the ville.church and check us out. We do services on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Um, listen, so I want to kind of, Jen, you, you had a comment. Sure, yeah. I w- just wanted to add um, about what we were talking about before that wonderful song. That um, yeah. one thing that I've, I've been guilty of and continue to be guilty of even this week, I was convicted over it, is that... Um, not only white people want to save those in minorities, we just are used to having the power in the room, having the power in the conversation, our ideas being listened to and validated. And so we just run over people um, a lot of times unintentionally and we're unaware because that's just the way that we're used to operating. So when uh, we get together with um, our minority brothers and sisters, we are very slow uh, to listen when the word talks about being quick to listen. And we're very slow to give up power uh, to let others lead, to, other, uh, to validate other ideas. And so um, to Jay's example of the guy who wanted to fix the gang problem, I'm sure he was well-intended. But it would be wise, and I encourage my white brothers and sisters to come alongside those who are already doing the work and that have taken the time um, to listen to those in need and who have kind of figured out how to do it and just walk alongside them and give up the right to lead. And then if we're asked to lead and asked to participate, not assuming that we're welcome, then we can certainly jump in with our resources. But we tend to um, do a lot of harm because we're not even aware of how quick we go and um, how we harm and invalidate others in the process. That's, that's Let me real. jump in real quick. Yeah, yeah, jump in, shirt dog. So I think that was a really gracious way of Jen talking about me. And, I uh, promise that was not intent. I was speaking about myself and the harm that I've done. I feel like, Jen, you were talking about me. No, which I is, wasn't. Which, that was well, maybe the Holy Spirit, said. but I wasn't directing that towards well, you. Well, then maybe the Holy Spirit she, yeah, she's talking she's to me. me. A pro, she'd be a prophetic, so <laughs> if the shoe fit, where? Well, it, it, it fits. So, uh, yeah, you know, everything that Jen just said, me and Jen actually had a conversation this morning, kind of how I do that in our own church. So I'll run, and not only me and Jen this morning, but... Jay, me, you, and Phil had it on Monday, where I'll run a thousand miles per hour and run over people and disregard their ideas or validate, be slow to listen, all that stuff. So that's something even in myself yeah, that I'm really trying to reckon with. That's bigger you to say, sure. I'm gonna say you're gonna do this right here on the live radio. On Why the not? Live I mean, that's it's all real. right, though, man. I mean, this, you know, I mean, you guys know how it is. Like this week has been, it's been rough in the way, like in many ways. But even what you were saying earlier, just that you said, uh, what'd you say, Southern language is traumatic. And I was like, you know what's crazy? Every time I see my grandmother, and it's literally every time, she's about 90 years old, I walk in the room, and the first thing she says, she says, well, I declare, just like that, which is like the most typical Southern language thing you can think of. And I'm just thinking like, man, that is probably exactly what people said on plantations back in the day. Yeah. And 
like, that's not her thinking through, you know, but it's just how she is. And so I've been trying to process a lot of this stuff, but even with what Jen was saying, like, um, I just want to take this opportunity just to say, you know, I want to, I want to fess up and own up to the fact that I, I do that. And I'm just now recognizing that. And I appreciate you guys letting me know that stuff um, and bringing it to me and being courageous enough to tell me and um, helping me to wrestle through that with God and my own sin and repentance in it. Yeah. And yeah. I and appreciate that, that shirt. That's, yeah. huge. that's dope, man. And, and that's not, um, it's not always easy because some of that is cultural. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're doing our, we do our summer camp. Um, and so one of my staff persons, like, she's pretty well organized. So I'm going to, you know, go to her for that. But at the same time, sometimes that can be a challenge um, because often um, what, what I would interpret of white culture, what I've read, is a lot of times um, results-oriented, um, completion of task, um, but over and against sometimes relationships. And so one of the things we do when we have mission teams in, we always remind them, you know, you might, the job might be beautification. You're going down the street, you're cleaning it up. But if you get so focused on beautification that you don't interact with the neighbor, and you might interact with a neighbor that wants to talk to you for two hours. <laughs> and I'm not saying, like, the task isn't important, but clearly relationships, you know, are important. And so sometimes culture clashes. And it's not always, I'm not saying it's always easy, but it is something we do have to be cognizant of and, and recognize because it could be just as painful, you know, on the other hand, for somebody who wants to be more relational or wants to learn or wants to catch up. And it's just like, they're not your speed. They don't have, you know, those proficiencies. Yeah. And often what happens, the reason we have to be uh, intentional about it um, within our race relations is because often African-Americans sometimes no matter how even how intelligent they are, will just fall back and won't say anything, you know, and will let you lead. But the beautiful, the beauty of diversity is that we have a contribution and then it's, you know, it's just working to, you know, make that. Yeah. Make that so a question I was going to ask earlier in the show was just to you guys being like, hey, so being in a church, working in a church, there's a lot of issues. And um, wouldn't it be easier to just have homogenous churches just to take one less difficult issue out of the equation, you know, and then still have a plethora of crazy issues, but then it'd be one less stress off of us. So if, if we just remained homogenous. If we just remained homogenous. Yeah, so, so, the only, so, so the only problem with that yeah. is that, Virtually all of the society does not operate like that. So it, it automatically shows your deficiency. Yeah. So for every, if black, white, Hispanic, Asian can go to the Jaguars game, can work it at the, out at the YMCA, but only when it comes to faith, it shows your deficiency. Mm. So it, it actually works against your testimony. I almost would say that the re... So hold, hold on. Step back and say that statement one more time. It works against the testimony. It, works it undermines the, tes the gospel. It undermines the testimony. Yeah. Because you're, if you work on a, you know, homogenous, now sometimes that, that does exist, mm -hmm. um, but in the case of um, public gathering and, you know, how we socialize and how we perceive that, like, you don't see that anywhere else. Like, you know, could you imagine, like, oh, only African Americans can go to Ruth Chris. You know, mm -hmm. is it crisps? Crisp. <laughs> it's crispy. It depends on how you get your steak. I suffer from Bell's palsy, so my peas don't always come through. Ruth but, Christopher. You yeah. know what I mean? But nobody nobody expects that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might, that is a kind of an upscale restaurant, so you might see class issues there mm -hmm. that prevent it. But generally speaking, when you go somewhere today in public spaces, you do not expect to see that. Especially, you would, you would like to say, was severely deficient, you know? Um, and so, so that's really the the issue that the church is wrestling against, you are def you're deficient. Like you can't even cross that hurdle. And it really does, we, not that we don't have the power, we do have the power, it's love. Sometimes it's just the struggle is how much you have to give up. But that's really the, the, the message of the centrality of the gospel 
he became poor so you can become rich. Yeah. That is the foolish, like, who, who does that? The, yeah. the natural systems of this world is survival, survive for self, um, be about your survival. Who does not work for their own survival? Yeah. Christ did not. And that is, that is the foolishness of the gospel. But to those who believe it, you know, it's the power of God. Yeah. And so, like, for me, I'm saying that kind of as a devil's advocate question. Sure. And I actually know people who kind of think like that. No, yeah. Because um, I wouldn't be going to the Ville Church or literally working at the Ville Church if I didn't believe that. But one of the benefits I see that if there are white people listening out there to hear me when I say this is, like, um, when you get married, it's revealed a lot your own sin because just from a male-female perspective, both image bearers of Christ, it shows you a mirror in a different light than males probably couldn't be able to see. Yeah. And in the same way, I think culturally what I've been seeing is working here, if I went to a homogenous, everybody's the same church, there would be deficiencies, blind spots that we all have yeah. that we wouldn't be able to show each other. Yeah. But then when you have different cultures, different sexes, different classes, all this stuff coming together, one of the beautiful benefits of it is that you actually, you have, you run up straight against these blind spots that you have and sin patterns and uh, idolatries that you have yeah. that are exposed that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Straight up. So, it's almost like a plug for one of the benefits of why everyone should be doing this, regardless of the Bible saying so, regardless of God calling every tongue, tribe, and nation together. But for me, one of the amazing things that I've seen in marriage and also likewise in this church is that I'm confronted with my sin. Yeah, and which is a godly thing, even yeah. though yeah. even though it seems like it went out of style in the church, it's actually a godly thing. You know, I want to actually I want to try to pull this together um, in, a, in a certain way with some of the stuff you said, Shirt. Um, you know, so this week has been a really serious week. We had a really me, Phil and, and Jeremy, and I'm not going to get into specifics of it, but we had a really serious conversation about race and some of the specifics of the conversation were about about um, about shirt dogs blind spots and the way we felt it was hurtful. Um, I don't mind you saying yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, and and so I, the reason I want to say this like that, and I don't want it to be grace, you know, people to go past it, is because um, man, we feel I I feel more unified and tighter after having that conversation, and we had the conversations from not. We are, um, us black men are offended at how you're moving and we think it's racist. The conversation was like, bro, you're our brother. We're called into this mission for the sake of the gospel. You're missing some things that are going to undermine the gospel and also potentially injure our relationship and maybe even hurt others. And we love you. Like that, that, that's, the over, that's the overarching statement. We love you, and we are called to protect the gospel, and I know you want the same thing. So let's have a real serious conversation on how to love each other, encourage each other, because the fact of the matter is everybody at the table in the conversation is racist, and it shows up. And I think what happens in churches a lot of times is that we don't actually steward the culture of our church yeah. to be free for us to actually admit that we're the monster in the room. Because that's what I was going to ask. I was like, why is that so hard? Like I'm trying to when it's the gospel. Yeah, How, yeah. When it's when it's yeah. the gospel. When it's something that we live by. Why is that so hard? And I'm trying to pinpoint a, a time in my life to where, and even with my wife, I, I, I'm thinking a lot. I, I could easily do it on the lines of marriage. You know, it, it just getting puffed up, and my wife trying to tell me, "Hey, you're doing some things that are pissing me off or hurting me." You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, but I'm trying to think uh, and understand. Just as Christians, I think we sh we should be um, the most one of the most we should be more confrontational confrontational than anybody. Yeah. Because we are family, we are love, we are united through Christ, and regardless of what, it's just like my brother and sister. Like, hey, you get what? Listen, stop eating up my food or stop messing. Like, why you keep? And it's nothing going to change 
between us, but it's like, why is that so hard yeah. to just be like, hey, man, this is what's going on, and before somebody just gets up and be like, you know what, I'd yeah. rather just not do this, I'm, I'm walking away from the table, I'm, I'm, you know what, I just don't want to be a part of nothing like this, or you guys just talk about this all the time, you make this a, a, such a big deal, like, mm -hmm. where do you think that comes from, like, yeah. what is that? It's, yeah, it's always a challenge, I mean, you, you know, this is uh, Galatians, much, much of Paul's letters, um, you know, dealing with this um, Ju Judaizing Jewish-Gentile divide mm -hmm. in which in Galatians 2, Paul has to confront Peter. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I would almost say that those divisions were, were even much deeper than what we would experience today, but pride, mm -hmm. shame, um, you know, they have the group dynamics effect. You know, if, if all of us, if there were 100 people in here, we were like, two plus two is three. Two plus two is three. Yeah. You know, Jim was number 100. Jim might be like, I'm not going against him <laughs> to be prophetic and say two plus two is four. You know what I mean? So sometimes, you know, th those things they play, uh, you know, into, you know, our things. Sometimes people know the truth. Um, I'll say this only because it was public, but like Rick Warren, he, he, he started what they called the peace plan. And that was like this kind of global initiative uh, that they had. Mm. But if you're going to be global, you're going to have to deal with people from other cultures. And it was mm. cool as long as it was just poor. But then when it talked about Christian Muslim relations and some of the exchanges, he had to drop all the way back. He had to make all these apologies. And I'm not necessarily saying everything was right about it. But rather than like, what does the gospel compel us to do? What, is, what does it mean to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? Rather than that being like the, the focal point and being prophetic, you know, these other factors come in. So Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a huge communication. Like, not, not, I want, it is a huge communication barrier, but there's the perception of each other. Like on the last show, Shirk said one of the worst things you could do is call a white person a racist. Yeah. And in my so eyes, offensive and, and my, and, and it's so offensive. It, it's almost like a white person calling a black person the N-word. And see, yeah. and then it's in, that like offensive yeah. to white people. Right. And then in my eyes, it should be the easiest thing I call it. Yeah. It should. And as um, I was listening. <laughs> like it should be the easiest. <laughs> I don't know about the easiest. But, like, but no, no. I, like, I get what well, you said. It I should be an easier yeah. conversation than it currently is. Yeah, and as I was listening to you <laughs> right. speak, I was thinking of the word humility just kept coming to mind. And it requires so much humility to realize, recognize, and repent that you've lived your life in a way that is not consistent with the gospel. You know, that's not just like a one-time interchange with right. a brother in Christ. It's right. like my whole life, no, I'm sure. just waking up sure. a lot of people in our church are you know really young but some of them are are older and to live your life that way you have to be really humble and I think then on top of that um, we are in the south where legalism and works righteousness is just beat into us in church and so we are very slow to repent just in general because we want to make ourselves look good and so humility is really Really hard to come by anyway. Sure. One thing I want to say, because I know we're about to run out of time. we got about three minutes left. I want Jay to have the final word here. But I want to say this, too. I think, Phil, you asked, why is it so hard? Mm -hmm. And to me, in white culture, one of the hardest things to actually believe is that we're more sinful than we think we are. Like that yeah. we could actually be sinning and be sinful in ways that we don't already know. Yeah. Like it is the hardest thing that we can think of. Like, we think, I, for the most part, at least in Christian white culture, that this, there's a holy God and we're doing our best and we're pretty good. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but then when you're exposing that we're sinning and we have issues outside of what we already know and that we might be more sinful than we think we are. It's crazy. It's, cra it's, it, it's mind-blowing and it's unimaginable. Like, and I see that all the time with middle-class white Christians mm -hmm. uh, and uh, baby boomers and Gen X white Christians, mm -hmm. and even in myself, it's just hard. Whatever the power structure is, it's really hard to admit that we could be more wrong. And but it's just the the 
baseline of it is believing the gospel, that Jesus actually had to, God actually had to come to us because we cannot come to him. Yeah. And that it was an infinite way he had to come to us, that yeah. we are so wretched that there's no way we could come clean. Yeah. And yeah. So. yeah. You know what? We're, we're, we're coming to the end right there. And um, listen, I think I just want to wrap this up with this, and I want to kind of uh, foreshadow to where we want to go next week on this conversation because we're going to continue in the race thing. What are we looking like on Tom Shirk, dog? We got one minute. Listen, I, you know, when, you, when you're talking about that, I think what we don't, the language we don't use concerning this distortion of truth is that it's actually idolatry. Um, and for in the black church and the white church needs to become radical in defending the gospel. Um, there's not an okay place where there's not humility to talk about sin. And then it goes into the fact that as blacks, have we ever had the credibility to scream and say, hey, we see this sin? Or has the historical narrative been like that we fall on deaf ears because when it comes to superiority and inferiority, we fall on the short side of that and just our words don't matter. And that's a huge hurtful point in the middle of that. But next week, one of the things I really want to push in really hard is that, you know, we're, we're hitting this from, from, from one side. I have a huge concern for the black church swinging to a, another side of the pendulum that is really hurtful and a distortion of the gospel as well. Um, from a black liberation standpoint or even worshiping our blackness or even demonizing whites and doing what has happened to us historically to white people because it still ends up being another distortion of the gospel Absolutely. and it still sets the table for the devil to laugh at the church and, and put a disdain towards the gospel. So we need to talk about how this functions in the black church and what we need to be aware of also. Um, 103.7 FM, 1320 AM, Pure Radio. We love y'all. This is the Ville Radio Show. We're signing out. Go check us out, theville.church. Thank you to Jen and our man. Most Thank definitely. Appreciate y'all, man. Thanks so a lot. Good to be here. Good to be here. Thank you. Love y'all. Peace, y'all. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was a lot of information, too. That was good. That was a lot of information, for real. Mm -hmm. Like, that... We got to hit the other side really, really hard because you know, you know who our listeners are. So they're like, "Yeah, get the white people." But we gonna swing right on back and come back around. Like, yo, you and your, you and your black church doing the same thing. Let's have the combo. So it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. What y'all think? Y'all enjoy it? I'll come back next week. Live stream, live stream, people. You know what I'm saying? Thank y'all so much. Thank y'all so much for uh, tuning in. Jimmy beat up at the town center. <laughs>